Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. The Hoop Collective with Brian Winhurst focuses on life in and around the NBA. Twice a week, Brian is joined by ESPN NBA insiders, including Tim McMahon and Tim Bontemps, every Friday. That's The Hoop Collective. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also available on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to talk about some funny stuff going on in baseball. Also got your voicemails about that time. You had to be the one to bring it home. But first... I recognize a lot of you Warriors fans. Well, honestly, you're a bunch of dorks. But I recognize that you bunch of dorks take things that I say a little bit personally and you seem to believe that I don't like your team. I really don't understand why you think I don't like your team. I don't really have a problem with your team. I just have little criticisms of your team because everybody deserves a certain measure of criticism. Just as I deserve a certain measure of criticism, you give it to me. But y'all punk asses, I'm not even talking about you personally. I'm talking about a basketball team that you watch. But there y'all go again. Always got a problem. Okay. I want to start this by saying thank you to the Golden State Warriors. That is right. I said thank you to the Golden State Warriors. Because I don't know about y'all, but I need a little bit of a break from these playoffs. I could just afford a night or two. I ain't necessarily got to watch no basketball. Like, I don't want basketball to be over. I would like for there to be a game the next night if there's not a game this night. But I would just like to be able to take a little bit of a break. And the Warriors seem to be well on their way to making sure that we all get to take ourselves a little bit of a break. Thank you, fellas. I greatly appreciate you coming with the rage and comeback in game two. That is making this look real sweepy, right? I could stand a sweep. I could use a sweep. Doesn't look like that other uh, series is going to give us a sweep. And that's actually cool because I think the final start June 2nd, big old block of time, but it wouldn't be no games. And I don't want that. But I do occasionally want to be able to get to sleep a little bit early, especially with this nonsensical thing in the West where every tip-off is at 9 o'clock. Maybe I don't want that. I'd be tired as hell. You know what I'm saying? Yesterday I went out, took a long walk in the park with my people. You know what I'm saying? I came back. I was a little bit smoked from the sun and, you know, the kicking it. And, you know, like, did this game start at 9? I was so glad that it looked early. It was like, yep, Mavericks ain't winning this one. I ain't really got to worry about staying up too late watching all of the second half. And I was right. The Warriors came through for your boy. So I just want to make sure that you guys understand that I appreciate the Warriors for that which they have contributed. That's all it is. But Gabe, let me tell you what it turned out to be for me at this point. You wind up in these places, and this isn't the first time this has happened to me. This happens to me in football at other times, whatever it is. But basically, you wind up looking at two teams and being like, hey, man, ain't either one of them going to make the finals. And then they playing each other to go to the finals. You understand what I'm saying? Like. Ain't no winning in that for me. And I understand I'm the one that put myself in that position by making such definitive declarative statements. It falls on me. I get that. I just figured that one of them would get knocked out a little bit earlier. And so the team that knocked them out would be a team that I thought could go to finals. And then they carry this out for me. But oh, no, no, that's not what I got. All I got from the West is a guarantee that some variety of dorks, either warrior dorks or Luka dorks, are just going to be all up in my mentions. Now, I do have to say, not hearing very much from you Luka dorks right now. And I really don't know why I'm not hearing from you Luka dorks right now. He seems to have played very well. It's everything apparently you guys say. The rest of the guys around him just aren't good enough. They're bums and they're not helping Luka. They're not doing enough to come through for him. Like you Luka dorks can still be showing up, except you look like losers. And I understand that you guys don't want to look like losers. Nobody wants to look like a loser. And, and I, don't, I don't want that. I mean, you can make the argument that in the course of trying to make these predictions for you people, that I too look like a loser. I get that. Of course, the difference is I'd be doing this on my name and you dorks be out here with your alias that you claim is so my boss don't find my account. But in reality, you dorks are just afraid to have to actually be accountable to something that you say from time to time. So thank you, dorks. I don't mind you holding me accountable when I get something wrong. That's cool. Just don't be dishonest about it. You know what I'm saying? But it looking like the Warriors are going to go to the finals. I didn't think the Warriors are going to wind up going to the finals. So good for them. That's what it appears to be. I just want to say this, and this ain't going to happen. 
But if the Warriors somehow blew this lead and they lost the series, would you Warrior dorks then come back and tell me how wrong I was for saying that they was going to go to the finals? Y'all going to do that? Nah, because you're a bunch of dorks caught up in this one thing. And I get that and I understand that. Here's what I want to say about the Warriors that I think is positive. Like Steph Curry in game three had a bit more of like a vintage Steph Curry game. My thing with Steph Curry on that is at this point, Steph Curry is what, 34, like somewhere in there? You just ain't going to be able to do it but so often. Like we have not seen vintage Steph Curry in the course of these playoffs because vintage Steph Curry, vintage means old. That's back then. You're going to get that every now and then from them, but you're not going to, I just don't think that it's reasonable to expect that you're going to get shut the world down Steph Curry at this point. He hasn't been that player all season long. Like I just don't think it's going to pop up right now in the playoffs and he hasn't demonstrated that he's got that Jimmy Butler thing where you suddenly turn into a different player in the postseason but what I loved in watching game three and it was also the thing about the comeback in game two when they had that crazy deficit at halftime of game two what jumped out to me in my mind was the Warriors are down 20 something points and the difference between them being down 20 something points now and then being down 20-something points in the glory days was, I didn't think when they were down by 20 points, they were behind. Like, I looked at that and just counted it up as, oh, okay, they're behind by seven shots. But it never felt like they were behind, and there would just be this raging, racing comeback that would take place. The next thing you know, the score was tied, and there were five minutes left in the third quarter or something like that. This team doesn't fill it up in that way. That's not the ball game that you're getting out of them. But what was so wild about that comeback in game two was they were doing it on twos. You know what I mean? Like, they just go and get into the rack and making it happen. Kavon Looney out here making things happen because it's almost like two-pointers count two. You know, like, if you're looking for that crazy three-point barrage Warriors, you're probably not going to get that. Like, we haven't seen that Klay Thompson. We haven't seen that Steph Curry. Back when they were really the three-point barrage without Kevin Durant, you also had Draymond Green shooting three-pointers better than he ever had. And now I still believe him to be just, honestly, an offensive liability. This isn't the same team, but what they are is a bunch of dudes that have won before. It ain't the whole roster, mind you, but it is still those three guys that have won before, and that matters. So it's like, okay, we can't do this by threes anymore. Okay, well, we'll find a way to get it done making a bunch of twos. Like against a team, the caliber of the Mavericks, they still going to be able to figure something like that out, right? Being a champion matters. There's never going to be a point where I don't think that being a champion matters. Being a champion matters. And I think that when you put a team like this against a team like the Mavericks, that's what you wind up having. But when I think about the Warriors, I was talking to Vinny about this the other day. You know my disagreement with what the Warriors are doing is, I just don't think you can keep the same core together for 10 years. Like, I just don't think that's how basketball typically works. They're doing that. I was trying to think of teams that have really tried to keep a core together like that for as long as this team is trying to keep a core together. And the best example that I could really come up with were the Celtics of the 1980s. Now, I want to be clear about something. I'm saying the Celtics and not the Lakers because with the Lakers, the core changed even if like you felt like it was the same players. So 1980, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the man in the middle like running everything. That doesn't change until after the 86 season and then Magic Johnson goes out front. But in between, you're also like adding James Worthy. You see what I mean? The core that you had at the end of that run is not the same as the core that you had at the beginning of that run. Beginning of that run, you got like a Norm Nixon. He gets traded for Byron Scott. Like they were changing out important parts. The Warriors added Kevin Durant, but now they're back to what the original core was. And yeah, they've added guys around that, but Jordan Poole is not James Worthy. Andrew Wiggins is not James Worthy. Though, Andrew Wiggins, everybody that told me I was wrong when I said Andrew Wiggins was a bust. Andrew Wiggins is playing much better now with the Warriors. But I think the definition of bust is if you were the number one overall pick and in order for you to find your calling, you had to become the fourth or fifth option. That's not living up to expectation, guys. Just, just throwing it out there for you to consider. But ain't none of them expectations matter when he did that thing to Luca, Gabe. Did you see when he yammed on Luca? The physical contact got him a little bit of extra height. Yes, yes. Let me tell you something, man. Ain't nothing like when somebody jumps up and has to start defending themselves in the air, right? Like when they decide, oh no, the dunk protection. In midair, when there's really not much that you can do for yourself at that point. Like, it's one thing when Dr. J rocks the cradle on Michael Cooper and he ducks and covers his head, but he's still on the ground. 
it's another thing that after you get off the ground, you're like, oh, man, I should probably be covering my head up right now. And that's what Andrew Wiggins did to him. And I ain't going to lie. I feel like when you add like how famous he is and how good he is and how he doesn't really jump that well or play exceptional defense, I feel like Luka Doncic in the paint is a guarantee I'm yamming this. Like once I see that guy come up here, there's great potential for me. Anybody want to buy NFT? There's great potential here that there might be a highlight that you want to keep forever. And that's what Andrew Wiggins brought on, buddy. There it was, you know? Now, I want to take this to the East, though, because I don't know what to do with the East. And what I mean by that is Jimmy Butler left game three with a knee inflammation. I don't really want to get into too much about like what happened when a uh, little Tommy points seemed to trip him and then he didn't come back in the game. It sounds like Jimmy has something in the neighborhood of tendonitis. Okay. And that would be terrifying to me if I were him or I were a heat fan. And the reason is tendonitis is way high on the, we can't do nothing about this list. Like this is what you got. Okay. Well, we're just going to have to manage the pain. Like maybe you can stop playing for a while, but the only thing that you can try to find a way to do is manage the pain. And apparently managing the pain was to the point where the training staff looked at Jimmy and was like, yo, you got to sit down. And you see in that second half how it all went, right? That lead evaporated without Jimmy Butler being in there. He matters that much. The thing that these playoffs have convinced me that I wasn't sure of was, can you win a championship with Jimmy Butler as the best player on your team? And I think they can. Like, that was my reservation with them. I felt like either Milwaukee or uh, Miami was going to wind up winning the East. But my reservation about that was, am I really saying that a Jimmy Butler team is going to be able, like, Jimmy Butler is best player. Can you win a conference? And it looks like it. But it almost looks like it's not going to matter if Jimmy can't play. That being said, Gabe, I don't know how much you saw on Saturday. But did you see the arrival of Mr. Bam Adebayo deciding to return to the playoffs? Bam was out there dream shaking. Bam was down there doing like legit post moves. Bam was making shots. Bam was playing defense. I mean, I don't know if this is a hot take here, but I'm going to throw this out here. Is Bam the third best center in the NBA? Like I would go Embiid one, Jokic two, Bam three. Like you get other guys that you can throw in there in the discussion. So I think that Rudy Gobert would probably make you potentially more dominant, like a more dominant defensive team, for example, because he matters just that much. He and Embiid are in that vortex class of rim protector, lane shutter, downer, everything, right? But if I got Bam, I can do a million different things. Like the level of versatility that he possesses is right there. So for you kids who did not get to watch Akeem Olajuwon, Watch Bam out of bio, but just think about like, well, all right, well, what if that guy was actually better? That's the kind of thing you were getting from Olajuwon. And I know it sounds like I'm just saying the two Nigerian dudes are kicking it the same, but I promise that I'm not, right? Bam is, at this point, you want a center that can play up and down and can play side to side. And he's the guy that can do both of those things while also being like an incredible distributor. But what he's not is a dude that we just go say, all right, Bam, go get us 30. Like, in the course of it, Bam can get you 30. And the Celtics were doing things that I found weird. I was like, why do you have Grant Williams guarding him? I mean, I don't know who your other option necessarily is to do this, but, like, after Bam had put up something like 14 in the first quarter, I look up and Grant Williams is guarding him? I just didn't feel like that was wise strategy uh, for me, May. I just, no, 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 no. That's not, that is not the play that I would have made there. But let's see. Because, I mean, I thought they were just going to shut that whole building down, and they had, and then the second half came back around. So if you got to hobble Jimmy Butler, I don't know where that go. But I do feel like even with the Warriors being up 3-0 while not necessarily being, like, crazy impressive in the course of that, and I didn't find them to be impressive last round. I was listening to the broadcast team last night, and they were trying to make the point about the Warriors. Like, outside of that game, they lost by 55 points. They were down by 55 points. It was like they've been a very consistent team. But at any point, have the Warriors looked like a champion to you this year? Like, if they look like, oh, man, that's a team that's going to win it all. Because that I haven't seen. Like, if they felt like that to you, that's cool. I haven't seen that part. And who knows? Maybe, like I say, I think there's a value to be a champion. Maybe they rise to that occasion there in the finals. But I still look at what's going on in the East, and I'm like, whoever comes out of that is going to be the one that winds up winning the championship. 
Tune in either this week or next week to find out just how wrong I was again. Damn it. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're going to go talk about some baseball right fast. And look, baseball fan, I know what you're probably thinking right now because you know damn well what it is I'm going to talk about, right? And you're like, oh, damn, Bomani, you ain't never going to talk about no baseball. But then all of a sudden something happened with some race stuff. Now you're going to come in here. And the answer is yes. That is exactly what is going to go on here because baseball honestly just doesn't lend itself well to parachuting in and out. And this is a show that kind of parachutes in and out. It's no disrespect to baseball. This is what it is. But this story does involve one of my favorite athletes out there the homie tim anderson tuscaloosa alabama zone playing for the uh chicago white Sox. if you're not familiar with tim anderson all i need to tell you is he blackity 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 black y'all like his his steez gives a gives a lot of black he gives a lot of young black a lot of a lot of cocky black kind of black that not everybody likes everybody's got different shades of black that they dig and cocky black is not the one that they necessarily want to read on the crayola i understand that i get that so it's actually funny. I was on the phone this weekend with the homie Howard. We were just chatting it up. You know, we talk about sports and stuff. And we were talking. He was like, why is Tim Anderson trying to fight against the Yankees or whatever? And I didn't really know what it was. I ain't paying no attention to it. I kept it moving. And then I checked up on the ESPN.com and I found out what the story was. And so I don't know exactly how the fight started, all that stuff. I ain't had time to get to that, right? What I do know is Tim Anderson did not appreciate being called Jackie by Josh Donaldson. Jackie as a reference to Jackie Robinson. And so Tim Anderson believed that there was a measure of racism at play. And by the way, while we're here, Tony LaRussa said he felt there was a measure of racism at play. Which tells me that Tony LaRussa, at least as a manager, is a pretty ride or die dude. Because you're not going to convince me that the dude that took Albert Pujols to a Glenn Beck rally to be on the stage really thinks that this was racist. Yes, yes. It's a lot to ask me to suspend. I don't know if I can do all that. That's a little tough. That's a little tough. But hey, apparently he's come around on Tim Madison. Tim Madison's his guy. I mean, hell, Tony LaRusa managed uh, Ricky Henderson, okay? He's done cocky black before. He understands where that is in the 64 box and knows you can win with it if the dude is good. Okay, cool. Now, I want to give you the full context, and then we will discuss what has happened here. So Josh Donaldson says, yes, he called him Jackie. He did not mean it as anything racist, but Tim Anderson had done an interview where he said that he sometimes felt like he was Jackie Robinson because the game needed him to change it, right? Because, you know, he's trying to unwritten rules, all that stuff, right? But he said he felt like Jackie Robinson because 
the game needed to change, and he was going to be the one to change. Now, guys, I want to be very clear about something here. If Josh Donaldson wanted to ridicule him for saying that, that's fair game. <laughs> that is 100% fair game. I feel like Jackie Robinson. Why? Because I be wanting to moonwalk when I hit a home run, but they throw stuff at me. That is not the same. That, 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 that ain't it. That, that, no, 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 no. They will not be retiring Tim Anderson seven. I think he wears seven. They ain't going to be retiring that all over the league because you go change things. Let's just be clear. If Josh Donaldson wanted to ridicule him for comparing himself to Jackie Robinson, I'm not going to be the one to say that man did something wrong, right? That seems fair. If he came up after that interview and he was like, yo, what up, Jackie? Right? You Jackie Robinson, huh? That's who you are? I think that would be perfectly fair. I think that would be perfectly legitimate. And Josh Donaldson says that he has joked with Tim Anderson in the past about this Jackie Robinson thing. Here's what seems clear to me, guys. And you let me know if I'm wrong. But I feel pretty comfortable saying this. It seems pretty clear to me that all this time, Josh Donaldson really thought he had been joking with Tim Anderson. Not that he and Tim Anderson are friends, not that he cared if Tim Anderson laughed, but I do believe that Josh Donaldson had done this. And since he had done it before, he continued to do it. But what he didn't realize is Tim Anderson didn't actually find the joke to be that funny, right? He didn't think it was that funny. So what it sounds like is Josh Donaldson said it the first time and Tim Anderson, you you a wild boy and kept it moving. And like I said it the second time, okay, and he ain't say nothing. And then this time, Tim Anderson had had enough and felt that there was a measure of racial animus that was associated with it. Now, do I think there was racial animus associated with it? I guess it all depends on what you mean by animus. So this is what I mean by that. On its face, I don't think what Josh Donaldson said is that. You know what I mean? Like, we ain't got to call the NAACP about that one. On its face. I don't believe that. But I ain't here the way that man said that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and this is something white folks don't get. Y'all be trying to take the words straight off the page and be like, what's the big deal about these words? Man, we know y'all. We know how it sounds. Y'all know y'all too. Y'all know what make y'all mad. Y'all know what time it is, right? So I don't know how it sounded or what the tone was or anything else about it. I really, really don't, okay? Honestly, I don't necessarily think there's but so much value engaging in what I call like morning zoo radio stuff, right? Oh, so what's the phone call? You think it's racist to call somebody Jackie? And then everybody just comes in with these far-flung theories because this is something that everybody kind of feels like they can relate to. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to pretend like that part is really but so serious. You know, like if Josh Donaldson says something sideways in that way, do I think it's cool? No, not necessarily. But I think Tim Anderson can handle that. So like, you know, like it's not top of sports center. You know what I mean? It's not big referendum on race in baseball. Not necessarily. No, no, I don't think that. However, did you see what happened on Sunday? Because this whole thing happened on Saturday. On Sunday, Tim Anderson was giving them the blues and the, the Yankee Stadium faithful were chanting Jackie at him. And then he hit a home run and ran around the bases giving them the shh. Yeah, the whole nine. Now, this is what I'm saying here, okay? Whether you think that the Jackie thing had anything to do with race or racial animus, whatever, okay? Tim Anderson did believe that. And that's all we know, right? Tim Anderson believed that. Josh Donaldson didn't mean it that way, he says, but whatever. Tim Anderson believed that. The crowd then decides to poke at him about that thing that he believes is tied to racial animus. Now that crowd, that feels like racial animus. You see what I'm saying? Like if all you know is this dude is like, yo man, that felt kind of racist to me. Well, we're going to do it again. How about that? Yeah, that, that's, 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 that, that feels like a little sizzle, right? Like the word feels dramatic. We just kind of limited in the tools that, you know, in our tool bag on this. 
But yeah, no, that that right there is about messing specifically with the black dude, not just the dude on the other team. Oh, well, you know, if you got a thing, then the fans are just going to ride you and da da da. Dog, I don't think that happens in every sport. You know, like I don't think that's going to happen if this is a basketball game and something happens in a similar situation. I just don't think it goes down like that. I find it unlikely that it happens in a professional football game. College, yeah, that's a little tricky. Professional, probably not. I don't, you know, but baseball, which has become more and more where white dudes go to hang out with white dudes and not have to worry about what anybody else thinks. Yeah, that one felt like some like race type stuff. It did. It's the biggest deal in the world. Nah, not really. But it's there. Like, I, I just don't think that you can ignore and avoid that part. So I'm not like, hey, we need to stop the Yankees from having fans at games or anything crazy like that. Like, I don't know necessarily what you do, but I do think it's worth noting the difference here. So Josh Donaldson, I don't know what he meant or what he did not mean, but I do think that he needed to pick up a little bit more on some cues from Tim Anderson. Like, he hit him with basically, like, Whoa, what got into Timmy? Right? Like, this can happen, man. Black folks can relate to this one, and maybe white folks can too. Maybe y'all all got stories about, I don't understand. I said the same thing to him. I said all the time, and this time he got mad. Right? And black people like, dog, I've been holding that for so long, and finally I couldn't take it no more. Right? Like, I think there's a disconnect. I'm, I'm bringing y'all together right now. I'm handling the earth right now. You know, that's what I'm doing, man. I'm trying to help everybody understand where everybody come from. You dig? Like, that's what I'm doing in this circumstance. And maybe that's what the program was. Like, that's what I think it was. Josh Donaldson's like, I just don't get it. I just been, I don't know. I'd been calling him Smokey for years. You know, like it just, it just been one of those things. And then all of a sudden he looked up. Like, it, it reminds me, have I ever told you the Funzo story? All right. So when we lived in Nigeria, we knew a dude named Funzko. But Funzko's name was spelled F-U-N-Z-O. And so my dad thought his name was Funzo, right? And so my dad just called him Funzo. Hey, Funzo. Funzo, good to see you. Funzo, 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 right? And then one day, Funzo had had enough. It was like, my name is not Funzo, it is Funzo. You know, a couple days later, my dad right back to call him Funzo. But Funzo had been rolling with, with Funzo as long as he could. And then finally he had enough. But my dad's like, wow, what got into Funzo? And that's what happened to Josh Donaldson. It's like, wow, what got, it's like, damn, Jackie, why are you so mad? I, I told you, dude, Jackie, ha, 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 thought we was, you know, I thought we was good. I thought it was all straight. And, you know, that seemed to be one of those things. Hopefully, maybe they could talk it out. I don't really know. I've been there where I've gone too far and written a joke a little farther. But when the man say something to you about it, your response has got to be, oh, okay, you got it. Because the thing that Josh Donaldson does know, he know they ain't friends. Like, that's the thing that be happening to y'all with me on Twitter. Y'all be around and think we friends and we not. Right? And you be like, oh, man, you can't handle this? Dog, we not friends. I'm not assuming you mean me well. And Josh Donaldson did not mean him well. Like, even if it wasn't racist, you acknowledge that part. He didn't mean him well. And so when some white man be saying something to you that feels very tied to the fact that you are black and you know he don't mean you well, then you're going to act in a response in the way that Tim Addison did. And then the crowd's going to act like they did. Because I guess that's just what they do. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now. If you haven't heard. All right, this first story comes from business. I'm Thaz Siddiqui, a tech reporter with The Washington Post. Elon Musk's $44 billion bid to buy Twitter is on hold as he seeks information on the true number of bots Twitter plays host to on its website. Musk may have an ulterior motive for this push. He indicated earlier this week he might be willing to see the deal through at a lower price. He also said he would consider... Twitter's declaration of the number of bots a material public misstatement if they can be proven wrong. All of this hints that Musk 
is potentially getting cold feet on his $44 billion offer to buy Twitter. Now, it's no secret that there are bots or fake spam accounts that promote cryptocurrencies and otherwise seek to exploit users all over Twitter. Twitter has said that fewer than 5% of its users are bots, according to its methodologies. But why is Musk suddenly so interested in this issue? Well, of course, Musk, as a prominent Twitter user and probably its preeminent meme lord, deals with a fair number of impersonators, spammers, scammers in his mentions all the time. But why is it coming up now? Well, there's this thinking that Musk is now under significant pressure relating to his $44 billion bid to buy Twitter. If you think about it, when he made that bid, or at least when he first indicated he was interested, Tesla was in a much stronger position financially. Since his interest became public, it has shed $400 billion worth of value. Twitter, too, has been under economic strain as part of the larger economic downturn. And so there's this sense that maybe $44 billion is a bit too high of a price to pay all of a sudden. Now, the bot issue gives Musk a potential avenue to reevaluate the deal through a clause. It's the material adverse effect clause in the contractual language of the deal. If Musk can prove that he was misled, in other words, if there was a material adverse effect, something that changed the dynamics of the company he is buying, he can show that he was misled and does not actually need to see the deal through because he was effectively wronged. If he can't show that, he would have to pay a billion dollar, what's called a breakup fee, to get out of the deal and risks being sued by Twitter. And so he now has an incentive to attempt to reprice the deal or otherwise find a way out. And so that might explain a bit about why this is coming up all of a sudden. Hey, man, shout out to the homie Fez. I know you needed to take the time that was needed to be taken to get all that stuff across. But that was a lot of words to say, hey, man, that dude ain't got the money, dog. Like everything I'm hearing here indicates he just ain't got it. Because so much of what he was doing to get this, as Fez said, was tied to the Tesla price. And so that Tesla price fell off. This dude ain't really got the bread to do what it was that he was trying to do. But nobody wants to tell the world, look, man, I ain't got it. And so we got to come up with all these different ways and all these different spins. But the one thing I think that's interesting about this bid to buy Twitter and the little end around he tried to run about, like, you know, becoming a Republican. And somebody just accused him of uh, some sexual misconduct. And we just keep talking about everything else. Like that, that, that part is not lost on me, uh, Senor Musk. I, I, I peep game on what is going on there. I see it. This ain't happening. Like I'll be in a year or so, somebody's going to make some fantastic like 45 minute documentary about Elon Musk pretending like he was going to buy Twitter at this ridiculous price. And what I think it's really going to do, the people that are going to be the biggest losers in this are like that Larry Ellison dude and everybody else that demonstrated they were willing to put their money along with what seemed to be such an obvious cockamamie thing. Why did you want to do this? What was the reason you want to participate in it? Because it didn't seem like it was a financial winner. I was reading something over the weekend basically about Twitter and all its concerns about whether or not it can be profitable and everything else, which all screamed out, sell to this dumbass man. Like, like if this dummy is willing to do it, do it before he changes his mind. No one will ever give you this much money for this stuff ever again. So why would somebody like really good at business like Larry Ellison or somebody else engage in that? I'm assuming that the reasons aren't good. And they put that out on Front Street and they probably not even going to end up owning Twitter at the end. All right. This next story also comes from business. I'm Scott Nover. I'm Camille Squires. We're reporters for Quartz. This week, we published a new story about Miami Coin, the cryptocurrency championed by Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. Every time someone mines it online, the city makes money. Suarez has suggested that Miami Coin might one day replace municipal taxes. Miami Coin has made more than $5 million for the city so far, but the coin itself has been a failure, losing 95% of its value since it launched last year, burning investors in the process, and raising possible regulatory flags. The mayor has tried to have it both ways, promoting Miami Coin while also saying it's run by a third-party company called City Coins and not an official product of Miami. 
Through freedom of information requests, we found a close working relationship between CityCoins and Suarez's team. In one email we obtained from October, a CityCoin spokesperson asked for an hour of the mayor's time for media training because of, quote, a few regulatory wires the mayor has tripped in recent interviews. A former SEC official told us this email alone is grounds for an investigation. Miami Coin currently has no practical value on the ground. It can't be used by goods and services in Miami or anywhere else. It's basically a fundraising tool built on hype. City Coins needs Suarez to hawk its product, and Suarez needs Miami Coin to make money for the city and boost his image as a crypto-friendly mayor. But now, with Miami Coin's value plummeting, that value proposition is unlikely to play out. Hey, man, I'm going to just ask you a question, Gabe. You have a, are you familiar or were you familiar with Miami Subs? No, what's up? So Miami Subs was like a, a fast food chain. Like when I lived in uh, North Carolina, there was a Miami Subs. There was a very famous story about insert famous football player here beating somebody up in front of Miami subs. Um, You would not want to get beat up by that player, by the way, just in case you are curious. But anyway, Miami subs used to be all over the place. And I'm on the wiki page right now for Miami subs. And in 1999, uh, Nathan's famous purchased Miami subs for $14.4 million dollars. When they acquired them, they had 175 outlets at acquisition, but then they had struggles. And eight years later, Miami Subs was sold to a private investment group for $3.3 million, again, after it was purchased for $14.4 million. All I'm saying is, if you couldn't trust Miami Subs, why in the world would you trust Miami Coin? That's all I'm saying. You tell me, yo, it's this new coin out here. Who's selling it? Miami? Was somebody in Miami? No, the city of Miami. Okay, so you're telling me that the city of scams is offering me a get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah, I'll take two. No, I won't take two. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. Like, in any of these cities and municipalities that are engaging in this, that's where I'm just like, we vote for anybody, won't we? We just vote for anybody. Like, Gabe, you, you've been peeping what's going on with the El Salvador got one of them Bitcoin presidents. And he tried to turn the whole thing over to Bitcoin. And now they're going in default on all of their stuff. Like, he's about to crap out the whole economy. I mean, granted, the economy wasn't that great to begin with. But they're about to crap out the whole economy behind playing these games with this funny money. But yeah, my, this is classic. Miami says the city has made $5 million off its funny money, which, by the way, not really that much money to justify an operation of that magnitude engaging in these practices. But they made $5 million off the funny money, but the funny money done dropped in value by 95% since they got started in doing this. Are y'all still, are y'all still doing this funny money thing? Like, I'm asking this question sincerely because I feel like I've done my part, man. I've done everything I could to help y'all out. I have tried to inform y'all. I have, you know, let you know all kinds of things that I thought, like I've done everything I could to try to put y'all on game to make an informed decision. Now, maybe you took all this information and your informed decision still was, yeah, I'll go get some funny money, okay? Maybe that was your informed decision. But I'm just trying to tell you, I did a lot to try to put y'all up on G and make y'all better about this whole stuff. So I just wonder, like, when you go decide what funny money you want to buy, how do you decide? Like, I feel like when you go pick your funny money, it's no different than when you go to a racetrack and you're just betting on a race, like like the Kentucky Derby. You don't know nothing about them damn horses. You don't know anything about them horses. Hey, but I like the name of that one. Let me go. What are the odds? Oh, yeah, I'll give that a try. It's only five bucks. But we ain't talking about five bucks, right? And I think people, I talked about this on Twitter a few days ago. I don't want to be too dramatic in talking about like what some of the losses are that people are getting. Not that there aren't people who aren't fully losing their shirts. But like I said, when I see people talk about I lost my life savings, well, how much had you saved in your life? You know what I mean? Like that's a concept but it doesn't really speak to what the money is. So if you had $10,000 and you put it in and it turned to 100 and now that 10's down to 15 or that 10's down to five, you didn't really lose your life savings. you know. Or if you did, that's not what people are talking about here when they say, I lost my life savings. That's just generally not what it means. But I don't know how much money y'all been putting into this. I don't know exactly what the game is that you're playing with it. I'm just asking you to look around. How do you think you still going to come up? Like a year or two ago, Richard Sherman said like two or three years ago, actually, when somebody asked him about Bitcoin, he's like, my grandmama knows about Bitcoin. This is over. Right? Like whatever the surplus was, was gone. He's like, if my grandmama knows what it is, I should probably be doing something else. 
And that's what happened, I think, with a lot of this stuff. And the pandemic made it a little different because there was just all this money that was flying around that had to go somewhere. And then it went into these places. But look around everywhere, man. We about to have some real problems. And I'm just asking y'all not to shoot each other up in the process because it's about to get real tense and his money's getting tight and his price is going up. I saw a picture. Gabe, what gas hitting for? Where you where you live in, in uh where you living? What, what are you hitting for? Five bucks. Dog, I saw a picture from Cali at seven and change for 87. For 87. So inflation up, gas prices up, of course, you know, all that's together, but whatever. Your little crypto dreams ain't going nowhere. Houses too expensive to buy. Woo, 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 woo. Oh, well, at least weed's legal in New York. We got something to celebrate. All right, this last one comes from education. Jonathan Franklin, NPR. Delaware State University, a historically black college in Dover, says it has filed a formal complaint with the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division after the stop and search of a bus carrying members of its women's lacrosse team last month in Liberty County, Georgia. The university said in a statement that the stop and search conducted by the deputies was, quote, constitutionally dubious. On April 20th, the Delaware State University women's lacrosse team was headed northbound on I-95 in Liberty County following games in both Georgia and Florida. During a traffic stop, several of the athletes' bags were searched after a narcotic-sniffing canine dog made what officials called, quote, an open-air alert. The deputies, however, did not find anything illegal in the bags during their search. Delaware Attorney General Kathy Jennings sent a letter to the Justice Department saying she is, quote, deeply troubled after what happened to the athletes. Both the Georgia and Delaware State NAACP chapters are calling for an official investigation into the incident. All right, first up, shout out to my homeboy, uh, Kariga Cooper, my college sweet mate. He from Liberty County, uh, Georgia. I think he from uh, Riceboro down there. Shout out to Posmo Debo. I got roots all kinds of places, baby. I know people all kinds of places. Anyway, I looked up Liberty County on the wiki as he was reading that because I was just curious, maybe some fun facts. And oh boy, you always get a little nervous uh, when you go to a county or something like that. And there is a heading for a lynching. Like it, it goes Liberty County intro history, 1922 lynching. Apparently it was a pretty big deal. It was a big deal. 22 people were indicted. Anyway, just teach y'all some history. Here's my thing about this search or whatever it is. Okay. Whenever I get a car, I ask myself the question, are they going to jam me up for having this car? Like the cops, you know what I mean? Like, are they going to pull me over and jam me up about having this car? So, like, I'm trying to get a nice car, but I'm trying to lay low in my nice car because you just got to worry that the cops going to jam you up, right? You know, you're out here pushing a Maserati. Everybody know what time it is with the Maserati. Good chance they just go, you know, hey, hey where'd you get that car? Oh, where do you work? And, and, and this is the thing y'all got to understand, and I just don't think people get this. When you black and you got a little something, man, People just always got questions about how the hell you got it. Like, even if they not even necessarily trying to figure out if you sell dope, I had that happen to me at, at the bank. Oh, what do you what do you do at Walt Disney? I'm the f- mouse. What do you mean? What do I do at Walt Disney? Right? I earn a check. Right? But they always just like, hey, you know, trying to figure out where you got your bread or whatever. So these are things that we as black people often have to think of that honestly white people don't. Like I imagine our Mexican brothers have to do it the same way. But you feel me? Like. This is something I don't think white people have to think about, that there often can be a ceiling on things that I do just because it's not necessarily worth the hassle of doing it. Okay. Dog, they got jammed up on a school bus or a charter or whatever it was. They pulled over a bus because they thought somebody might have been trafficking drugs. They get on the bus and they see that it's a bunch of college students, lacrosse players, presumably all in their college gear on their bus and you still gonna call the dogs out right you still gonna go through this whole rigmarole of checking this up and down like is that really what we're talking about here and that to me was the wildest part on it is nothing in this indicates any measure of probable cause or whatever it is but you still gonna go through this like it's not like they stopped the bus they got on and then they saw willie nelson and were like oh oh i think it's our time you know it wasn't that it wasn't that college students a bunch of women on top of that like when I hear these stories about people getting their cars like searched and all that stuff, it's always dudes. I don't hear too many stories about women getting their stuff gone through. And maybe I'm just not aware of it. But that was a part that struck me on this is that it's women on this bus. And y'all still thought they was out here muling this dope. All of them. And then what you do after it's done? Sorry about that. Just keep it moving. Come on, man. That was crazy talk to me. And 
it's one that I think that everybody involved does need to push and get all the way to the bottom of and figure out how in the world that such a thing could have possibly happened. Because it ain't got to be that. I can't imagine how tired they were. They still had to ride all the way to damn Delaware. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All right, Bo. A couple of weeks ago, you and Fox talked about having to bring it home when someone else needed you, when they were in need of your services. We had some good ones today, uh, all different types of incidents. Our first one comes from Roy in Richmond. Here it is. I was in an AAU game. I would say I was probably the third or fourth best player on the team. And, you know, we uh we, we got an early lead, so we chilling. We up by, like, 15 in the second quarter. So, you know, we just chilling. So our best player gets hurt. Second best player gets ejected. So at this point, halftime, we're down by 16. So mind you, I'm not the best player on the team, but, you know, I just be chilling. So I'm in the game, just chilling, going through the motions. We get to the fourth quarter. We're down by 20. My girlfriend walks in the game. So when she walks in the game, I'm like, yeah, let me go ahead and do my thing. So I take over in the fourth quarter, game winning three to win the game. It was crazy. Yo, you know why I appreciate that story? I don't really hear too many stories about dudes, girls coming to the game and it working out well. You know what I'm saying? And by the way, because normally we hear the story about a dude bringing his girl coming to the game and then what happens after that, the story ain't told by the dude. It's always told by the people on the other side. Because apparently they then embarrassed that person in front of that dude. So shout out to you to actually living up to your promise at the right time. I hope it was a good night for you. All right, this next one comes from Justin in Texas. The time whenever I had to, you know, go ahead and bring it on home, I was in high school. And back when I was getting drugged to church still, we used to have this thing called the Bible Bowl. And I would be the go-to guy for all the answers. Like, I never missed. And so... One time we made it to the championship, and the other guys before the match came to me, and they were like, hey, uh, we know some of these answers, too. We understand that you had to carry us this whole time, but let us catch a little shine. And so I was like, all right, cool. I mean, y'all got it, y'all got it. I'll just hang back, and when you need me, I'll just, you know, step back up. And so I don't know what happened. We got into the match, and these guys catch cold feet or whatever. Like, they just freeze up. And we're, like, down three, four questions, and then they look at me, and I'm like, all right, well, just get on my back. Cleaned out the rest of the game, scored every point then, brought on the first place trophy. Yo, I think the part that I find to be so interesting about this is that they were like, yo, can you let us get in? No, I cannot. I thought we was coming to win. I've been in that in the, like, trivia situation. That's tough. Because the problem is, at least they asked, I guess, because what also happened to you in them situations is the mother jokers feel like in order to get in, they got to get in faster than you. And so they jump in. I had, man, I had one of them. It was a bring it home moment. Like I recognized it was like for all the marbles. We need to win this one to get to the next round. This is when I was in college. We got to bring it home. We got to bring it home. And I was on, dog. And I could see the other side was shook. And it reached a point where, it was on enough that I could let this question play out just a little longer before I jumped in to get the answer. And right when I was about to hit the button, Carlton Banks over there just had to snatch the ball and he threw that thing off the exit sign. I knew the right answer too. I knew it. I knew it. I was about to bring it home. They didn't want to come home. Nope. Sure didn't. We got another voicemail gate. Was he that eager to give the answer as well? I felt bad for him, man. He spoke because he was scared, scared to speak. You know, he didn't mean no harm, but that did not make me any less heated. This last one, I think you and I can relate to it a lot. Not because of what he says right off the top, but here it is. In college, I was kind of known as one of the smart kids. And you know how it is in college. When people think you're smart and you have a group project, Uh-oh. everybody wants to kind of jump on, which is fine. I don't mind doing a lot of the work. If you could do a PowerPoint, whatever. But this time we had to do a large report. Everybody had to do a portion of it. Okay, cool. 
come to like a day before the reports due. We show up at the library, and I'm like, all right, what's everybody got? They look at me, and they tell me basically they ain't got nothing. At this point, I'm furious because this is like a 20-page report. Nobody did anything. Everybody looking at me when I thought I was supposed to do one forfeit report. So I had to do what I had to do. Looked around at my teammates, realized nobody else was going to be making them shots. Grabbed that laptop and finished that 15 pages. And for the next three hours, they sat there in that library and watched me do this. And you might ask, why would they watch me do this? Because they would never get another A again if they didn't sit there and stay in my good graces by sitting and watching me go through all that pain. But that's the one time I just had to suck it up and bring it home. We got an A. We. I got an A. They also (laughs) received one. So let me tell you something. Every television show, every radio show, every podcast is a group project. Every single one of them is a group project. Susceptible to all the failings of every other group project that you've ever heard of or that you've ever worked on. So I remember the first time that Dan was not there to do Highly Questionable. And I called in somebody I was ready to do it with. I was like, oh, yeah, like this is going to be hot, right? It's going to be my chance. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to show them a little something. Let me tell you what I learned that day. I learned how good Dan Lebetard was at television <laughs> because this turned into a group project. And every now and then before, I'd feel like I kind of had to carry a little extra load, right? You know, like, I don't know, this group project sometimes feel like it's skewing my direction. It wasn't until that day where I had to be like, all oh, my back, boys, we already been here for an hour, 15 minutes, and I don't want to be here no more, no more. And I was like, oh, my fault. Dan Lebetard is a beast. Because that was the day that I fully realized, oh, TV is always a group project. You have other lessons as you go along in that. But TV is always a group project. Every day. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this here three times a week. Gabe Bassane handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Also, thanks to our, if you haven't heard, contributors. Thanks to Fez Siddiqui of the Washington Post. Check out his story about Elon Musk and this Twitter deal that might not happen. Thanks to Scott Nover and Camille Squires at Quartz. Check out their story about the Miami coins, some crypto that dropped by 95%. And thanks to Jonathan Franklin of NPR. Check out his story on Delaware State filing a complaint with the Department of Justice after the bus got searched for drugs. Also, remember the Right Time Book Club. June 13th is the first episode. The book is King of the World by David Remnick. It's a great biography of Muhammad Ali. Pulitzer Prize winning. Be sure to check that out. Remember to follow the right time. Rate us. Review us. Give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.